Mark chapter 7, and we'll be considering the first 23 verses this morning of Mark chapter 7. from last Lord's Day, we're on the shore at uh, Gennesaret. Jesus is going from village to village in that area, in that region. Most commentators believe that uh, by the time we get to chapter 7, we have uh, come back to the city of Capernaum, which is part of that whole Gennesaret area. Mark 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And when he called the people to him again and said to them, and he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, 
envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person by the reading of God's word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we again come to the reading of your word, and Father, we delight in hearing the word read. Father, as we see today the brass tacks of our faith, Father, that on the outside sometimes we can act so clean, but the Lord is on the inside. Father, as we continue in our spiritual journey, we pray, Father, you give us the strength to put to death that remnant of sin that we war against in our hearts. That, Father, that our outward actions and our inward hearts would be one and unified unto the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you'd be with Pastor Bob as he brings this word. Father, that you'd give him great clearness, great unction as he preaches your word. Father, that they are your very words to your people this morning. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I want to look at three things this morning from this particular passage. First of all, the Pharisees' legalism. Secondly, the Lord's teaching. And then thirdly, the gospel declaration. The Pharisees' legalism, the Lord's teaching, and the gospel declaration. Now, to get at this legalism of the Pharisees, we, we get at it by the question that they come with. An official delegation has showed up in Capernaum. An official delegation that most likely has come, as the text tells us, from Jerusalem. They have heard of Jesus. They have heard of his healings. They have heard of the teachings. And they are there to dispute. They're there to find fault. Jesus is considered a rabbi, but he's untrained. They have not trained him. How could he be a rabbi? He's unapproved. They're the ones who should be the ones to approve rabbis. He has not been approved by them. How can this man be anything but a fraud? How can this man be anything but a fake? So they've come. They've come to discredit him. They've come to find something, some means, some way of looking in, some way of deciphering that which he says, that which he does in some way that they can, before the people, discredit him so that the crowd disperses and that everybody just kind of goes their way and Jesus will just go into oblivion. And so they come with a question. An opportunity comes before them. The disciples are eating with hands that are unwashed. Now, before we go too far, let me explain. Washed here does not mean that they have a little dispenser there with soap, and they take some soap, and there's a sink, and they're washing their hands under their sink. They get rid of the the soap, and then they rinse them a little bit, and then there's a nice towelette over to the side, okay, and they wipe it off and everything like that. To wash here simply means to pour some water over. That's all that's going on. The disciples ate without following that tradition of pouring some water. We'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. 
upon their hands before they consumed food. So they come with a question. This is their opportunity. Why do your disciples do this? If you're really a rabbi, if you're really one who knows stuff, if you're really one who knows not only the word but the traditions of the elders, if you know all the laws, then this, ought, then, then this shouldn't be happening. Maybe you don't know everything. Maybe because of your untraining you were not, didn't know about the washing. So this is their attempt to discredit. Now, what's behind this? The behi what's behind this is their tradition. And that's all this is. Now, children, I want you to listen. I'm going to say some pretty tough things about washing your hands. Okay? But I don't want this to be some sort of an excuse that you don't have to listen to mom and dad when they say wash your hands before you eat, wash your hands after you go to the bathroom, wash your hands, you know, after you've been outside working, petting the dog or the cat or whatever, okay? That's a good practice. The problem is, is that these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, had taken it to a different level. And what they were saying was this. You can't really be righteous. You cannot be right with God if you're not washing your hands properly. So they're making this, this idea of washing your hands, a condition of salvation. That's what we refer to as legalism. The idea that you can earn righteousness by actions that you take. And that's what Jesus and these teachers are battling over. This is what Jesus is confronting in these 23 verses. He's dealing with the issue, can you be saved? by the do's and don'ts of life. Now, let's talk a little bit more about this tradition that they had. In the commentary I have on Mark by R. Kent Hughes, he writes this little paragraph. He says, they were washing all the time before meals. They would pour a little water over their hands, elevating them slightly, so the water would run down to the wrist, okay? Because that's what you had to wash to. If you didn't wash to the wrist, you hadn't washed your hands. So if there's no water beating up here, then it's not a sufficient washing. Now you might say, well, how much water do they have to use? Okay, here's a little thing you can do when you go home today. If you have an egg in your refrigerator, take the egg, Break it. Take half the egg that you have left, half that shell, fill it with water. You had to use at least that amount. If you used less than half that egg filled with water, you hadn't really washed. So it's the, the amount of water had to be at least that. Now, the more you use, the better. Oh, if you use great extents of water, 
Oh, that, that was seen as even more righteous than just the little bit. But you had to use just the little bit. So you take your hand, pour that little water over. It's got to run down to here. Got to take the hand, do it on the other side. It's got to run down to there. Then you have to take your hand the other way rather than up. You have to put it down and you have to pour that little bit over it again, at least that little bit, in order to have washed your hands. And if you don't do that, you see, then you've broken the tradition of the elders. And if you've broken the tradition of the elders, you cannot be righteous. He goes on. If they were returning from a place where they could be defiled, such as the marketplace, because they rubbed shoulders with people who were not clean, they went to greater extremes. Some commentators think that the language of our text means they took a bath. When it came to washing their dishes, they really got carried away. The latter Mishnah, list of Jewish laws, indicate the extremeness of this. Now in our text it says, see, they, they hold to the washing of cups, pots, and copper vessels, and dining couches, the place, the chairs. Now you stop and think, how, how, how much information do you think it would take to cover how you wash a pot or a pan? 35 pages to describe how to properly wash a cup, a dish, a utensil, the chair upon which you sat for eating. 35 pages. And if you ever seen how Hebrew is written, you go, well, they weren't writing in big font. This stuff is small, and they cram it all together. 35 pages. And if you didn't do it, you weren't righteous. Say, well, what if you didn't have water available? Well, you had to do a little calculating. If there was water within four miles of you, you had to walk the four miles to do it. Well, let's just think a minute. 24 to 48. Okay, so we'd have to walk from, let's see, that's 24, that's three miles. So we'd basically have to walk from here to Coopersville. If there was water within four miles from here to Coopersville, draw that cir circumference around, We'd have to go there to do this washing. If we didn't, we're not righteous. You say, well, what happens if you didn't know? Ignorance was no excuse of the law. This is the extreme. See, that's the tradition. Now, the law stated, see, the law was found in the book of Exodus. It's found in Exodus chapter 30, verse 19. Just turn to it a minute. Okay. Exodus 30, verse 19. Here's where they got it from. 
This, this is the law that is being corrupted. Exodus 30, start at verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. With which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they must wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. Now, who has to wash? The priest. When do the priests have to wash? When they are about to perform religious duties. From that law that God gave, these religious teachers had gone to the extreme of 35 pages describing how to wash pots and pans. Are we anywhere near Exodus chapter 30, 19? Are we dealing at all with worship? Are we dealing at all with being in God's presence? Are we dealing at all with the understanding that when we approach God, we have to approach God in holiness? Here are some disciples sitting on the beach, eating some food, and their hands are still dirty. Oh! How unrighteous can you be? How could you let this happen, Jesus? What kind of rabbi are you? You see, Jesus clearly describes their error. Verse 6, he said to them, Well, Isaiah prophesies of you, hypocrites. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, that's what all this washing was. That's what this, this question to Jesus was. It's a commandment of men. It's not a commandment of God. God never said to the people, you had to wash your hands before you ate. The commandment was only to the priests, only engaged in the worship of God, to set apart the worship of God as holy and distinct. You leave, verse 8, the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. This is what legalism does. It takes the laws, the rules, the regulations of men and holds them as being more important than the commandment of God. So Jesus provides an example. He says, here's the commandment. Honor your father and mother. That's the commandment. You can't get much straightforward than that. To honor one's father and mother meant that you were going to care for them provide for them all the days of their life. 
It meant that you were going to provide for the mother and father all the days of their life. That's what honor your father and mother meant. These people, though, had invented a commandment, a tradition, by which you could get around the responsibility of caring for your aged, elderly parents. And this is what you did. You said, oh, all that I have is the Lord's. I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, I can't give you, I can't help you. I, I, can't, I, I can't give you any wheat. I, I've committed this to the Lord. Now, that committing to the Lord didn't mean you actually brought it to the temple or to the synagogue. It meant you just did it in your heart. You committed it in your heart. You said, ah, this is the Lord's. Oh, I can't. That's a vow I've just made. I can't, mom and dad, I can't give you that bushel of wheat. I can't give you that fish. I can't give you five shekels. I, I can't do anything to help you. Sorry. And Jesus says, you've set aside the commandment of honoring your father and mother by a tradition that you purposely invented to get around the commandment. Yet, you see, if somebody broke their vow of Corban, they would be unrighteous. So you could not honor your father and mother and still be righteous, but you couldn't break your vow of Corban and be righteous. He gave them as direct an example as possible as to how they're setting aside the commandments of God in order to please themselves. Legalism. I'm going to work my way into the favor of God. Now you see, this, this, this just butts heads. Why? Because these religious leaders believe that these traditions of men are on the same par as the Old Testament. In fact, some of them said that that which came after the traditions of men, the writings of the rabbis, were more important than the word of God. Sometimes we go down this path and we always need to check ourselves. Is what I'm upset about a tradition of men or is it a commandment of God? I've used the illustration before, so I'll use it again, but it applies in so many, so many circumstances. Okay. May a deacon collect the offering with a colored shirt on. Huh, I'm leaving this church. Deacons now have colored shirts, not white shirts. I'm getting out of here. This is a liberal church. Things are going downhill. Whoever said, where is the commandment of God that says, thou shalt wear a white shirt? How about this? You have God. 
you're talking about. Do you realize how many people would have left church? I'm almost tempted to ask our elders to stand and see how many have ties on today. Huh? People would have been in an uproar. You don't have a tie on? You're an elder? How can that be? Commandments and precepts of men. We did it with the Sabbath day. We do it with lifestyles. We take tradition and make the tradition more important than the commandment of God. We make Sunday morning coffee more important than growing and feeding on the word of God. We find all sorts of ways to circumvent giving our tithe at that first offering that comes around. Well, you know, it's okay if it goes here. It's okay if it goes here. It's okay if it goes here. We're so good at being these people. All of us. We're so good. It's so easy to fall into this. Of trying to somehow circumvent the law of God by traditions that what you're really trying to do is, yeah, it probably was well-meaning at the beginning, but it gets us so far away from the holiness and the purity of God that we've made these laws the means by which we become righteous. Imagine the way in which I wash a cup is going to determine whether or not I am a righteous person. Imagine if I wear a tie or not. It determines on whether or not I am a righteous person. Imagine if I ride my bike for two miles on Sunday. It determines on whether or not I am a righteous person. See, I'll even go this far. Imagine that whether or not I attend, don't, don't go too far with this, all right? Think what I'm saying. Imagine if I determine as to whether or not I come to church Sunday morning as if I am a righteous my attending church, whether it's morning and night, does not make me righteous. I am not here. You are not here to be come righteous. We are here because we are righteous, because we are saved, because out of gratitude in our heart. But this does not make us righteous. Oh, it's so easy for us sometimes to go, well, you know, I'm a lot better than them. I go to church on Sunday. Yeah, and I cheat on giving the tithe. I come to church twice on Sunday. But I'm making fraudulent deals with customers all the week long. It's so easy. But that's, we need to 
something that Jesus is doing. So what does Jesus do? He sits down with his own. See, that, that's, that's 1 through 13. He's countered them. He's dealt with them. They're frauds. They're the hypocrites. But now Jesus, verse 14, and he called the people. See, now he's calling those disciples. Now he's calling those who have been following him. He brings them in. Because the real question is the question of sin. And what he instructs them, what he teaches them is this. That sin, the source of sin, is our heart. The source of sin is our soul. The source of sin is not a dirty cup. The source of sin is not unwashed hands. It's not that drinking out of that dirty cup is going to make me a sinner. It's not washing with those unwashed hands is going to make me a sinner. That which is on the outside does not make me a sinner. I am already a sinner. In my heart, in my soul. The truth about sin is not that it is from the outside in, but it's from the inside out. How many times don't we read somebody goes off and commits some crime? And then we read, or we hear them on the news. Oh, they were such a good person. No, they weren't. They were a sinner. Or they just got involved with some bad people. That's the outside in. They're a bad person. That's why they're with bad people. I'm a bad person. That's why they committed the crime. I'm a bad person. That's why I'm illegally selling marijuana in a parking lot. I'm a bad person. I'm an evil person. I am corrupt to the core. The things on the outside do not make us sinners. That was their way of looking at it. That, that was their, that was the Pharisees, teachers of the law way of looking at it. So if you could just prevent the outside from coming in, if you could just prevent the sins from coming in, 300, what did I write down? 308, 365 of them. If you could just prevent the 365 things from coming in, you'll be righteous. Because you see, we're basically good people who get corrupted by the outside. That philosophy of education runs contrary to the truth of God's word. I just read a survey. Over 50% of people in American evangelical churches believe that people are basically good. And Jesus is saying, no, we're not. We're evil. And all these things, look at verse 20, all these things that come out of us are not defiling us, they are that which is in our hearts and souls. 
That's why the gun doesn't commit the crime. The heart of the person commits the crime. It's the soul. Evil. And what's interesting is what Jesus includes in 21, 22, and 23. Remember where we were? We're dealing with some disciples who didn't wash their hands, and so they're evil men. Jesus said, you want to know evil? Evil is what comes out of the human heart. And think of who he's talking to. He's talking to the people who in a short period of time are going to be sitting in judgment on him, violating the rules of law, holding illegal trials, striking him, turning him over to the Romans, executing him. Did that come from the outside? No, they knew it was evil. See, as our brother prayed a few minutes ago, this really is the core. William Barclay said that this passage, these words of Jesus, are the most revolutionary passage of the entire New Testament. Because in a stroke, he's washing away the understanding that I can in any way, shape, or form earn my own salvation. My avoidance of certain things cannot make me righteous. My doing certain things cannot make me righteous. This was so ingrained in the Jewish mindset. Did you read that little line back there where it says that by this Jesus said, verse end of 19, he declared all foods clean? The disciples don't get it. They still think, you're talking to us in parables. Did you really mean what you said? And Jesus is like, yes, I meant what I said. But think about Peter. Well after cross, well after the resurrection, well after the ascension, well after Pentecost, sitting there one day, a sheet comes down from heaven. And the sheet with a voice says, kill and eat. Peter said, no, 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 can't go that way. Jesus had already declared all foods okay. Peter, though, is so ingrained in this Judaism. No, 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 three times. Before he finally gets it. See, this is what the gospel declares. In Jeremiah chapter 17, we read these words. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his gospel's declaration is this we are sinners dirty to the core Romans chapter 3 there is none that is righteous no not one there's none that seeks after God everything we say 
is like an evil sepulcher of death. Because it's constantly reminding us Oh, that room. Oh, that worship Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. And with this we'll close. Book of Titus chapter 3. It's a tough one to find. Verse 3. Titus 3, 3. the gospel's declaration we're sinners dirty to the core the gospel says we are saved we are sinners washed by regeneration Titus 3 3 for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient led astray Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not by works done by us in righteousness, no legalism, nothing I can do, no work save thine but But according to his own mercy, how does he save us? By the washing of a cup? By the washing of a pot? By the washing of a dining couch? By the washing of our hands? He saves us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through our, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He washed us. How? By pouring out. <laughs> little cup. Yep. Oh, now I've met that. I've done it. Little cup. Little half egg. What does God do? He washes us. He cleanses us. By pouring the Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our lives so that he says in Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you the heart of flesh. He's going to wash us. He's going to cleanse us. blood of Jesus Christ our Savior and we're clean I've been regenerated I've been made new not by my washing of cups not by my observing the Sabbath not by my coming to worship not by my wearing a tie 
not by my restraining from a bunch of evil things out there in this world and in this society. It's only by the wind of the Holy Spirit blood of Jesus Christ. And that, that, and that alone makes you and I righteous, sanctified, present before God. And God's people say,